Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. In this episode, Stuart Abelson from Aura, a contract research organization, explains the services the company can provide to ophthalmology innovators with the mechanics of a clinical trial to help advance products through development. Let's listen. Hello, OIS audience. Uh, nice to see you all again. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Rob Rothman. I am a, a glaucoma specialist by training, uh, still practice clinically uh, for a significant amount of time. I am also the co-founder and co-managing member of InFocus Capital Partners, which is an ophthalmic-focused uh, venture capital fund. Uh, we are just nearing the end of our investment cycle. We have 13 assets inside of our fund and they are all in the ophthalmic space. Um, I have done several of these podcasts over the last few months, and I am very pleased this afternoon to be speaking with uh, someone who I consider to be a good friend and partner, uh, Stuart Abelson, who is the president, chairman, and CEO of Aura, uh, O-R-A, and I will let him explain to you um, what it is that he does and um, let him give a brief introduction of himself as well. But um, suffice it to say that as an investor in ophthalmology, especially in the early space where we are, it is impossible to talk to companies and not come across Aura during your discussions. It is physically impossible. Um, they are, at least in my opinion, the premier uh, contract research organization in ophthalmology and have provided um, services uh, of a broad range, which we'll get into in a few minutes, um, to almost all the companies that we've interacted with on the investment side. So um, with that as an introduction, Stuart, welcome and uh, glad to have you here. Well, thanks, Rob. And it is great to be here. OIS is a fantastic platform and has uh, really done an amazing job in our industry pulling together uh, so many different groups that are necessary to, to lead to successful innovation, uh, you know, from regulatory agencies to uh, investors to entrepreneurs, as well as the practicing physicians. And it's really done a great job of pulling together the whole ophthalmology ecosystem and um, they do it with style and, um, and flair. So yeah, it's fun. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny that you say that when I was a, when I was just a regular, you know, ophthalmologist and not involved in investing, I, I, you know, would get the emails or, you know, from OIS and see some of the publications and never really appreciated the depth and breadth of the service that they provide to ophthalmology. And now as an investor and somebody who's gotten more involved with the organization, you do realize how critical it is to, you know, conducting our business. So kudos to them. Yeah, it actually was very fun to see uh, OIS develop because many of our clients uh, would be presenting at OIS and sharing data that we, in fact, helped to generate. So we would have our Aura folks in the audience and we'd actually play a game. We'd say, OK, well, can we get how many shout outs are we going to get? And, you know, acknowledging Aura's role and helping to produce some of that data, because we're very proud of you know, the, uh, the work that we're doing to help move these technologies forward. And, you know, when uh, when you get a CEO or a, a you know, uh, representative of the company up there proudly talking about how their product performed and showing those nice narrow standard deviations and a good clean study done um, and knowing that they're advancing their program uh, in front of an audience of investors that are uh, going to see their uh, progress in their development plans. It's just very, very satisfying. And in fact, that's uh, really how we draw 
uh, you know, a lot of uh, energy, I think, from, uh, from the innovative community is to see how we are progressing these programs forward uh, you know, towards approval uh, so that they can benefit patients. So um, it's- uh, That's great. It's nice. It's fun. It's really, it's, 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 it's fun when you're, when, you're, when you're in it like we are now. So, so anyway, let me, let me start out by um, giving you the opportunity because you know, we have, there are listeners to these podcasts from all over the place. There's investors, there's entrepreneurs, there's just interested parties. And, and not everybody knows what a CRO is or what a CRO does. So just, for the, just as a, a brief introduction, because we'll get into the meat of it as we go along, just can you explain to the audience you know, what a CRO is, what R is, what you do? Um, and then we'll take it, we'll go backwards a little bit to the, to the genesis, the origin and, and, and all the other things. But just for, the, for everybody listening, just tell us about the company. Well, sure. So, so first of all, the word CRO is something that's become a, you know, a bit of a, of a vernacular statement, you know, the um, contract research organization, that's what it stands for. Uh, you know, typically you'll have a company that decides, you know, what study they want to do. Uh, and then they're looking for somebody to actually conduct that study, being able to uh, provide the uh, necessary implementation of that, the patient recruitment, the, uh, the, the training of the sites, the uh, oversight of the good clinical practices uh, that are required. Uh, sometimes it relates to drug logistics, uh, getting the drug uh, out there to the sites, properly labeled, uh, and then making sure that uh, the data is condu conducted or the uh, studies conducted per the protocol, as well as uh, in compliance with, uh, with federal uh, regulations. Uh, so then there's also aspects of the data management. How's the data handled? And are the statistics being properly implemented? And then you know, leading through uh, various uh, you know, checks and balances to make sure that things are in compliance and ultimately leading to you know, a database lock and then data interpretation. So, you know, there's the mechanics of actually getting these studies done. And that's what the you know, sort of word CRO means that a lot of times the companies have the idea, they've got the product, they've got know-how, uh, but they tend to outsource the, uh, the heavy lifting to get that done. The, um, you know, the CRO uh, as a word applies to only a part of Aura though. And this is something that we've struggled with over the years to try to explain that Aura is a whole lot more than just a CRO. Certainly we do. CRO uh, services, but uh, Aura has extended itself um, you know, far beyond what a traditional CRO does because of the focus that we have on ophthalmology and the fact that we've been at this for 40 years. So the, um, the level of expertise that we have in Aura, which includes uh, PhDs and uh, MDs, ophthalmologists, surgeons that are fully on staff, you know, have been working across ophthalmology development programs for a long, long time, not just individually, but also you know, together as a team within Aura. And that leads to a lot of uh, experience and the experience leads to uh, knowledge. And that knowledge can directly improve the programs that we run by helping to, you know, select endpoints, to help to uh, design uh, the statistical plans, to help to design a regulatory strategy, um, you know, as well as uh, design uh, inclusion, exclusion criteria to make the trial uh, you know, you're doable. And so when, when I see, uh, you know, clients often come to us, they don't necessarily have a fully baked plan and really value the expertise that we bring to the table to help them to set that study up for success, not just to do what they tell us, like handing a sheet of music to a musician and saying, play this, you know, we really get involved in helping to fully produce the piece, right? You know, figuring out, can we change the score a little bit? Can we change the words of the song? And, and, and all for you know, a better end product. And so um, we also have um, 
this uh, you know preclinical CRO that we've built uh, over the past you know it's really about twelve years, and that includes the um, uh, formulation, uh, chemistry manufacturing and controls, um, and regulatory submissions piece, and that's something that uh, is very important because if you don't have a product that's stable, uh, you know, sterile uh, and uh, comfortable, then you don't have a product to test in the case of a drug. And if you don't have a, a product that has a validated software or um, you know, uh, engineering plan behind it, then you can run into trouble there as well. So we've really focused on the early stage that allows us to help these entrepreneurs and inventors. And you know, we're working with everybody from uh, physician entrepreneurs to uh, you know, mid-sized biotech companies, you know, venture back. Maybe they have one product. Maybe they have a couple. You know, all the way up to you know, global uh, you know, firms that have products on the market and you know, you know international operations, uh, all you know, focused on ophthalmology as well as other uh, you know, therapeutic areas. So you know, we're really working with you know, large companies all the way down to a physician entrepreneur and being able to meet those different size customers where they are and help them to refine their program and, and move that along. That's, that's really the, um, the, 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 the magic I'd say that, that we bring to the table is that, that combination of uh, expertise that's been gained over lots of experience in the, um, if, if the area of ophthalmology, that's all that we focus on and being able to take that um, and, and then turn it into operational execution you know, and make sure that that plan is something that is, uh, is able to be implemented so that the product can advance through its development. So we're going to get back to all this again, because it's, you know, again, I, I have a, a sort of a very deep understanding of your business. So we're going to go back and talk about it, but let me just take a step back for a little bit and 40 years ago, that's not at all what you did. I mean, 40 years ago or started out somehow and has grown. So what's the origin? Where did it come from? How did it start? You know, tell us about the, the familial nature of how this grew and, and, and how you got into it and your background. You know, I think people should hear that because I th it's one of the things that sort of draws me to, to, to the company is, um, you know, the genesis of it. And I think people should hear it. So go back to the beginning. Well, well, like like all great businesses, it all starts with an idea, usually of one person or a small group of people. In this case, it was my father, you know, Dr. Mark Gableson. Uh, he's a uh, ophthalmologist uh, trained at McGill um, and uh, did a fellowship at, at Harvard at the Scapin's Eye Research Institute in Mass Science Infirmary, uh, where he continues to be a uh, professor um, and surgeon emeritus. Uh, he um, came down and you. Know, in, in his uh, experiences at, at Harvard, he started to um, take an interest in ocular allergy, actually uh, had a, um, a, a lab uh, partnership with uh, Dr. Matei Allensmith, actually is the ocular allergist at the time who was um, at Scapins in Boston, and realized that uh, there was a, a big gap between the uh, research that happened in the lab and the translation of that to the clinic. And in the case of ocular allergy, as they started to map out the mechanisms of ocular allergy, the various inflammatory mediators and um, uh, different uh, you know, uh, you know, clinical responses that were seen, 
th there was a, um, a, a question of how can we get more reproducibility uh, in the trials that we're doing when those make their way into the clinic. And there was a, a number of uh, frustrated clients that they'd have to run sort of cast of thousand studies, environmental studies um, that uh, were really hit or miss. And, and it was frustrating because it seemed like the drug should work, but then, then it wouldn't. So, so he really went to work on that in a very pragmatic process oriented way and said, well, how can we um, find a better way to study these products? And, and there was a, um, a model that actually was grown out of that idea, this concept of, a, of, of um, improving the quality uh, and reliability of clinical research. And that early model was the CAC, the Conjunctival Allergen Challenge, which was Aura's first clinical model. And this product uh, or this, um, you know, uh, this model ended up becoming the, uh, the gold standard for how ocular allergy drugs are developed. And to this day, we have 22 ocular allergy products on the market that have come through that model. Uh, it's a concept of a, of a challenge model. So we are um, bringing uh, ocular allergens into the eye to uh, induce the allergic disease and then being able to, in a controlled way, look at how these patients you know, respond to drug and placebo. And we're able to uh, dramatically reduce the size of these studies as well as the, and improve the reproducibility. In fact, uh, across 22 studies, uh, excuse me, 22 drug approval programs, uh, we've never failed uh, to reproduce a phase two result in a phase three study. And uh, you can't point to a lot of other areas of, of uh, pharmaceutical development where you can have that kind of reproducibility. So again, this kind of an idea of improving the quality and reliability of clinical research was the uh, seed that gave birth to Aura. Uh, another key person at, at Harvard um, uh, you know, the, the, you know, recommended to, to dad that he go out and set up a practice uh, up in uh, the north uh, of Boston. And um, we, uh, at that time, uh, my brother and I were, uh, you know, young, young kids. This is in the late seventies. We, um, you know, we in the town of Andover. And so he moved to Andover and set up a practice called Andover Eye Associates and built that practice out in a way that would allow him to have flexibility to be involved in research. And so it became a, a almost a, a miniature, uh, mass pioneer in that he'd take one day of the week and had a different specialist every day. So one day was oculoplastics, another day was pediatrics, another day glaucoma, another day retina, and then, you know, surgical follow-up. And of course, dad was practicing. And, um, and we learned uh, as kids early on the importance of the referral relationships. I remember going around with my, my mom and delivering at the time cases of wine to the, you know, general <laughs> lists in town to thank them for the ophthalmology referrals. I remember, uh, working with my dad at the YMCA doing uh, glaucoma screenings and uh, you know giving him cards so that we you know use that as a feeder for the practice and also to do good work in the community, and 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 then you know I took an interest in what dad did like dad was always there to talk about science to us and help us with understanding biology when it came time to get into high school and and uh, sort out those uh, those things and and always would um, would be there to share and. And we also had other incredible things. You know, people would come to uh, work with him on a consulting basis and they'd stay at our home. So we had lots of people from industry who literally I grew up with meeting on Sundays, you know, names from the past, you know, a, a prominent regulatory gentleman named Marv Garrett, who heads up um, uh, regulatory at ISTA now. I remember him. Uh, you know, having uh, you know Sunday breakfast with Dad, and we'd have medical writers that, uh, or medical illustrators that would come over to work with Dad and draw pictures 
uh, on the, um, the, the, the kitchen table to you know, map out the disease and make sure that that looked right clinically so that when that was published in the book, it made sense. So, uh, you know, we had a uh, monitor, uh, you know, Diane Uphoff is a, a monitor from Allergan who has been around in the industry for a long time. She's another name, uh, you know, I remember from growing up and, you know, she'd come out from Balboa Island and help us to, you know, <laughs> you know made, taught me how to make guacamole and deviled eggs. And I got a chance to, to learn what, what she did. So this was all like in high school. And then um, the opportunity came to do some work in the practice. And I had this discussion, this is a time when ophthalmologists or I think most docs were taken off Wednesdays and they also were um, uh, working on weekends. And I said, well, that's what our customers, the patients were actually uh, available because they weren't working. And I said, maybe we should have some evening hours and some Saturday uh, hours. Uh, I'm not gonna go in, but uh, he partnered me up with uh, Dr. Jack Greiner, who's still a, a friend of ours. and. I worked with Jack Reiner when I was, uh, I think, about 14 or 15 years old, running the front desk, uh, you know, working as a technician, uh, you know, spinning the phoropter, using the lensometer, doing some visual fields, uh, you know, scheduling appointments, even processing insurance. And I got a chance to you know, really work the front end of a practice, just the two of us, and, and have this like skeleton crew on a Saturday. And so I got a, um, and then of course I used to go with my dad and hang out at the nurse's station when he got a midnight call or overhear him on the phone, uh, you know, you're talking to the tissue bank to, you know, hear about some motorcycle accident that happened and a young person's corneas were available and, you know, you, you know, that those were going to be scheduled for surgery for, you know, a, a cornea transplant. And so, you know, I'm sort of describing the life of a son of an ophthalmologist, right? I mean, that's it. You know, I, I, I saw dad work and I saw him, you know, you know, operate. I saw him work, you know, work hard. I saw him bring work in home and I saw the passion that he had for what he did. And I think that that's something that, you know, I carry forward with me now um, and also into Aura about, you know, what does it mean to be really passionate about something, you know, that you're doing, you know, this mission and purpose uh, and, and, and being something, part of something bigger than yourself. And so I think that that's really, you know, what, what, what fuels. Um, you know, there's a lot of industry consulting that happened early on at Aura. Uh, we use the Andover Eye site to recruit patients. Uh, this is, you know, again, very early on in the 80s. The CRO thing didn't really exist at that time. But uh, the big vertical integrated companies, Johnson & Johnson, Cooper Vision, um, Allergan, Alcon, you know, the big names at the time, Bausch & Lohm, um, you know, all, all uh, you know, we, we had shirts and goodies that always came home from business trips, from bags, from all of those companies, uh, you know, that, um, you know, became household names for us. And so, uh, we, you know, it, it, you know, or progressed from that, uh, you, you know, um, you know, really, uh, you know, the, the next big step was in uh, college. Uh, I grad went to a, a small liberal arts college in Maine called Bates College. Uh, you know, graduated back in uh, 2000, or excuse me, 1997. You wish. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> um, and and at, that, at that time, I uh, had uh, made a connection in uh, international business, uh, a company called Amphenol, which was in the electronic connector space, so passive electronic components. And I met this amazing gentleman, you know, Dr. Martin Loeffler, who uh, was running this company. He was a physicist who had built uh, a, a global organization. Um, it was just acquired by KKR for 700 million the year that I graduated. Of course, KKR being a investor, you know, the guys that essentially invented the leverage buyout. And, you know, they were looking at a new model to do an industry roll up uh, of a company that had been depleted through multiple 
leveraged buyouts. And they were um, you know, looking to reinvest capital and build out that global business. And I said, this is an incredible opportunity to travel and see the world and understand how a big global company works and, uh, and how to, to really manage investment in that and, and, uh, and drive value creation. So I went to, uh, to Connecticut. I um, was there for a, about a year. I, I only think I spent four nights in the apartment that I rented because I traveled all over the world and spent a lot of time out in Chicago at a fiber optic products business unit. Uh, th- that I ended up um, having a, an opportunity to, uh, to run when I was in my um, mid-20s. It was an operating unit of a factory that had operations in China and Mexico. And it was a very unique opportunity to, to lead a division of a public company at a, at a very young age with the uh, outstanding mentorship uh, that my boss Martin was providing, as well as an army of general managers, about uh, 50 of them around the world, all of who I had a chance to learn from. So it was a, a real trial by fire crash course in, in global business. Um, the learning curve was real steep and had a chance to, to really just jump in and, and put a lot of it into practice never having taken a formal accounting or business class because I was a biology and psychology undergrad at, you know, at Bates. Um, in a parallel life though, at graduation, I remember the graduation tent, my dad hired a couple of my friends and uh, they went to go work at Aura. And one of those, Matt Chapin, who you know very well, um, you know, not long after Matt came Aaron Shapiro. Uh, and then uh, my buddy, George Usler from sixth grade, he was um, a Trinity College graduate and uh, we added him to the Aura team you know, not long after that. So this all happened in like the late 90s. And then you know, there was other folks, Paul Gomes, who still runs our allergy group. He came into Aura as a, a clinical um, uh, study participant and ended up uh, becoming uh, part of our allergy group and went on to be its uh, vice president. Uh, you know, you can't talk about Aura's early history without talking about Donna Welch and uh, the role that she's played is still with our organization and uh, you know, being able to, to help to train people. She was uh, dad's uh, uh, operating room nurse, one of the lead nurses, and ended up bringing her amazing organization and uh, problem solving skills to Aura to help to keep the research business running. And so the, the, or the uh, Stewart's friends, <laughs> you know, went to Aura and I went into this international business world and we obviously stayed in touch over that period of time. They're still my friends. Um, but Aura had grown to the point where it's about, you know, 15, 16 people, um, you know, maybe around 20, something like that. Uh, around the time that I decided it was time to leave Amphenol and come back to go work with dad and, and my friends. And that happened in 2007, actually. Um, I just completed an MBA out at Kellogg, um, out at Northwestern, because I was in Chicago, and it was a great experience uh, to take all the learnings I had in an informal way at Amphenol and bring them to a um, the, sort of the, uh, you know, a practical uh, or academic understanding. But then I came back to uh, back to Aura to work with my, my my buddies and my dad, and this is where Aura really. Um, you know, we, we really said, Hey, what, what can we do with this company? Like we've been here, you know, they, they were there for about 10 years. I was coming back and we said like, let's, let's, let's think about how big this, this could be. And, and, you know, it's just been an amazing period of time. It is 14 years ago uh, that I, I, I came back as, or as president at the time. And it's been just an amazing journey. Uh, we've had so many adventures all over the world, working with so many great people with doctors with investors, with entrepreneurs and executives at our clients, uh, project managers, 
and just have made so many great friends, have seen so many different parts of the world. And it's, it's been, it's been a really great journey. So, 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 so you, so you and your dad hanging out in the office on Saturday, two of you basically start aura from those experiences. And today, uh, April 29th, 2021, there are how many employees? Well, so right now we're at 400 employees. And I, I want to be clear, I, I, I came back to Aura in 2007. You know, d- Dad was really the driving force behind Aura and built that firm, but now a global organization. So the, um, you know, we have about 30 employees uh, based out of our London office uh, covering the, the world, uh, the European market, and then also uh, about 20 uh, in Asia right now based in China. Uh, as well as some activity in Australia. Uh, the bulk of our employees are in the United States, uh, you know, largely centered around the Boston area. That's where the company grew up. Uh, we have a you know, really robust training program. I think that that's one of the biggest things that makes Aura different is that we, we really home grow our people. Uh, we have a special way of doing things. We're focused just on ophthalmology. That's all we do through and through. You, know, you can't, uh, just like your firm um, is focused on just ophthalmology, when you are focused on one thing and you're determined to be the best, then that emerges. And, and everything that we do from, from you know, 100% of my brain space all the way down you know, throughout all levels of the organization is all focused on how we can do a better job in supporting our clients um, and, and, and getting studies done you know, faster with higher quality, with a higher likelihood of success. So- and, well, uh, not, to, and not to give you any sort of, you know, look, I, I, this is informational, but during the course of that time, you know, your process has resulted in how many drug approvals? Uh, so we're, um, I think at 52 is what the current count is at. And it's, um, it's, it's, it includes products for, uh, for dry eye, for allergy, for glaucoma. Uh, it includes contact lenses. There's uh, exciting work going on in the uh, diagnostic imaging area. The, the medical device business at Aura is roaring, uh, whether it's a surgical uh, implants or whether it's uh, new surgical systems or whether it's uh, a new uh, piece of diagnostic equipment, whether it's specular microscope or a, um, an OCT or um, you know, new microperimetry, all of those need software validation and testing. So we're, we're really doing a great job um, supporting those customers with um, you know, everything from you know, the IDEs to European approvals. Um, so that, that's, um, uh, but uh, you know, retina products, uh, you know, the, uh, we've been involved in, in some of the most exciting um, you know, and, and um, most impactful retina programs. Um, so it's really front of the eye, back of the eye, as we say, everything in between uh, across those uh, 52 drug approvals. But those, those approvals are the success of our customers. We, we are here in service to them, right? We are a service organization. We are here to bring our uh, global resources, our network, our knowledge, uh, and our service mentality and kind of can-do attitude to get these programs set up for success and done. And so when I look at these 52 approvals, those aren't or approvals. Those are successes of partnerships where we've showed up to help these clients and, um, and, and make sure that, that we're just giving all of our experience and knowledge, know-how capabilities to their programs uh, with just a level of, of, of passion uh, and, and pride of execution that um, I think is very rare. So I, I would agree. And I think, that, I think that one of the things that we should probably spend a few minutes talking about, and, you know, obviously, you know, I... In focus interacts closely with it, with, with Aura in lots of different ways, and 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 
you know, the relationship is, is, is great there. But I think that there's a, an aspect to your business that a lot of people probably don't understand. Because I think that most people who deal with CROs that are not sort of vertically integrated in the way you are probably take their um, scientifically proven product, drug, whatever it is, to a CRO who then basically conducts their clinical trial. Right. And I think that's the version of CRO that people generally think of. But you, gen and again, and this, my limited knowledge is that there maybe there are others out there like you, but in ophthalmology, at least I'm familiar with, with what you do, is that you provide lots of other services to these organizations that are not typically found within a single company. And, and, and I think it's worthwhile spending a, a few minutes on that because I'm not just talking about preclinical and clinical work. Um, and, and clinical trial design and planning, but it's also the regulatory process. And, and I think more importantly, and I think what a lot of people who will listen to this po podcast will find interesting is that you also are very integral in the financing aspect of what these, these companies do. And I think you should explain to people sort of how you do that and what services you provide with, with that in mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, there's a there's a phrase I love to pull um, from the movie The Right Stuff. I'm, I'm a pilot, and I, I love that movie. Um, but there's a time when they're trying to raise money to go to the moon, and they trying to get the astronauts out there to raise some money, and they made the uh, you know clear point say no bucks, no Buck Rogers. So you know none of this stuff happens. You know you're not going to the moon, you know without the money, and and that's a very important uh, thing in drug development that if you can't put together a cohesive plan. Understand the steps, uh, the risk factors, the timeline, uh, the um, you know size of the market that you're addressing, the regulatory path. Uh, design the study so that you understand you know how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost, and being able to lay that out in a way uh, together with the uh, credibility of execution, then you're not going to do a great job raising the money from investors to uh, to get behind that program, and so. First part of this is understanding, having gone through it so many times, what are the steps, you know, and, and then being able to put that in a way using uh, the, you know, the knowledge of other programs, our own experience, uh, and, and also the current state of things. For example, like enrollment timelines right now in the COVID environment, you know, you have to plan for that and raise enough money so you understand how, how that dynamic could affect the enrollment in the study. Uh, there are also unique um, ways to uh, sh you know, shorten timelines and, um, and, and improve likelihood of success. Our um, AuraNet, which is a global network of investigative sites, it, it, it spans China and Europe and, and all of the U.S. and all the ophthalmology subspecialties. You know, this is such a powerful and truly unique thing that I think goes um, underestimated. So when a lot of times you start a study, you have to go and find the sites and figure out what ones you're going to use. Um, we have uh, already signed up these sites. We already know the investigators. We know who are high, who, who does high quality work and how many they enroll. They also have an ongoing relationship with Aura over many years. So they're really showing up for the, um, uh, you know, for, for, for those particular programs that we bring to them. And in many cases, these are exclusive sites to us, which means that the clients that work with Aura get access to almost a private network of investigative sites that allow them to have their studies prioritized for enrollment. So all of that stuff moves towards reducing timelines and costs. So when you bake all of this stuff in, now it comes time to go out and, and, and raise some money. We have a wonderful network of, of sources of capital. Everything from you know, high net worth individuals, family offices, 
uh, venture capital groups of various different sizes, you know, sometimes private equity, as well as uh, special sources of funds, get government agencies, uh, granting organizations, uh, as well as uh, even larger pharmaceutical companies uh, that might be um, interested in a creative co-development project financing uh, programs. But understanding how different types of capital come in over the different phases of development and how you can um, you know, pull in those different sources of capital in uh, almost like creating a recipe uh, uh, so that you, know, you, you can really properly fund a program you know, through its various phases of development. You know, understanding uh, how to support the inventors and the, often the scientists who have never raised money before. You have an idea, an ophthalmologist, you come to us sooner or later, you, know, you're, you, you maybe never had experience in drug development. So we're teaching that, but then it comes time to raise money. Well, they've never raised money. How do you put together you know, a, a, a syndicate? How do you, you're working with the lawyers to put this together? It's almost like an incubator type function, but, um, but that's, it's necessary, right? So, so that's something that, um, that we do. And as you mentioned, we uh, brought a number of opportunities to, uh, to in-focus capital and the, um, the ability for us to have trusted partnerships within the finance community also accelerates the diligence period. And I think that's another real big differentiator that the breadth of the team at Aura, uh, whether it's regulatory or CMC, uh, you know, the, the, the chemistry and manufacturing of the product, uh, whether it's the clinical timelines or the FDA approval process, um, the, the, you know, all, all of this experience, uh, what, you know, safety, potential adverse events, all of that experience um, comes to help put together a diligence package that is very comprehensive. And you know, it's one of these things, we, I think the comment was, we would have had to hire seven consultants in order to do the, put together the diligence package that Aura put together. And that's because we have all that interior internal expertise. I mean, the people are fully employed you know, at Aura uh, you know, in, in here um, you know, in service to, the, again, the investors and the entrepreneurs. But yes, that's a, it's a great point, the, the, um, you know, being able to actually get the trials and the programs funded is a really important part of moving those programs forward. Yeah. So if you think, you know, I, and, and again, I, the experience that we've had, you know, with entrepreneurs and companies that have worked with you um, has always been, you know, Aura does everything right. That you guys basically will take and, and don't get me wrong. There are CEOs of different skill levels at every every stage of development of, of, of a novel company. And some of them have a skill set, like you said, they can, they can identify the product and figure out how to do the science and, and get enough data to make sure that they want to move forward, but they have no idea how to raise money. They have no idea what the FDA requires. It, it really, and, and, and what we've heard, at least internally, is the feedback is that they can go to you and you basically help them navigate this entire process. And, and that the ability to do all of that and say, yeah, this is, you know, this is, we'll help you with this. We'll help you plan the trial. There's the regulatory stuff. You set up meetings. You're at the FDA every week. You know, I, I would imagine. And, you know, dealing with all, it's sort of a comfort, you know, for people who have no idea. There's this frightened look when we meet with some of these early companies, like, I don't know where to go or, or, or what to do, because there are so many things that are required and having access to a single location in which to do that, I, I, I think is unique. Um, and I, and I think it's that mentality that has led us to work with you in a lot of opportunities because you know, that's what we do from the investment side, right? We put everything together in one group so that we can understand all of this from the investment side. You've done everything on the clinical side. And, and, and it's, 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 I think, differentiated in the space. 
Well, well, thanks for that. I think that our orientation is very simple, right? We are here in service to the innovators. And what we do is something my dad calls research on research. And that is a simple way of saying that we innovate research. We develop new research methods, models, and processes so that we can show up in the most efficient way. Um, so when you're coming to select an endpoint, which endpoint is it? Maybe you could develop, maybe there's a model, maybe there's a new piece of, maybe there's a new scale that needs to be developed. Uh, maybe there's a new statistical technique, right? Those are things that will develop so that you don't have to guess about how do you study a product, right? The, the idea of the product itself is, is, is a very important part of the equation, but then how you study it, how you design those studies, how you execute those studies, that is uh, very, very important as well. And, and in many cases can be the difference between, you know, getting the product approved or not. I think the, um, the, 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 the concept of service is something that's become very important to us, right? We are, um, you know, just, we, we put that the entrepreneur and the inventors, whether it's a, a single physician or whether it's an R&D team at a company, and we put them at the center, we say, how do we make their life easier? What, you know, what, what information do they need? How can we de-risk the program? How can we, um, you know, uh, set that program up for success or shorten its timeline? Uh, so that, that's really the, the, the service mentality that we bring. And, and you know, our, our values, right, we, I've, I've actually been really digging in deep now. Um, on you know what what are Aura's values as we're looking here right we're in the middle of a COVID world where uh, you know people are isolated I mean we've grown a lot about half of the company at Aura we have never met each other because the company's grown a lot in this past year we've had so many people come to us when trials stopped and said how can you keep this going I mean we've been like the go-to rescue shop for trials mm -hmm. of people who couldn't get it done elsewhere. And it's been an amazing, you know, you talk about these businesses that do really well in COVID and those that don't, right? Aura has experienced unprecedented growth during this time because people are seeking the relationships that we have with the sites and our can-do attitude and creativity to be able to get things done in this crazy environment. But as a leader of this, it's challenging because these people are Zooming from home with their kids. Right. They've got... Um, you know, kids at home school and spouses that are zooming in the other room. And, and so we've been going to work really hard on trying to calm things down. Listen, get focused, work on yourself, right? Don't send emails at all crazy hours at night, get your sleep. We've been working on your know, diet and exercise programs, mindfulness programs, because at the end of the day, if we're, our job is to feel the team that know that has the knowledge, but they also have to show up as compassionate, forward-thinking, problem-solving individuals, humans, and they also have to work well with their teammates. So if you look at the magic of a team, like a sports team, it's not about the superstar athlete that's the know-it-all or, it, it, you know, or, or, or does all the big plays. It's about how those teams work together. So there's a magic to aura that's emergent from our focus on the individual, the sort of human-centric of it. And I feel like we take care of our people and our people are going to take care of you know, our customers and their programs. I know you have some new people who've joined during COVID and some really sort of key hires for you that I think are, are, are really great. Who are those people and what will their roles be? Yeah, so we created a, um, uh, a new position called Chief Development Officer. Uh, there was a press release that went out uh, a couple of days ago, so I can talk about Dr. David Bingaman. Um, you know, David uh, is a veterinary ophthalmologist with a PhD in angiogenesis. 
Uh, he was at Alcon before he went to go work with uh, Paul Cheney and Marty Wax at Panoptica, uh, where he ran uh, global retina programs for their product for a number of years. Uh, it was interesting. We uh, didn't do a lot of work over that period of time with Panoptica because David was doing such a great job. And um, then he went on um, to uh, um, uh, another uh, European firm, Oculus. And uh, David joined us about four weeks ago um, and is overseeing all of our therapeutic areas. So we we're organized by therapeutic subspecialties. So dry eye, allergy, um, anti-infective, retina, glaucoma, uh, devices, and then our preclinical activity, which actually reports up into a gentleman by the name of Hal Patterson. Um, you know, Hal's an incredible resource and has saved many, many programs from the CMC perspective, but regulatory and CMC and preclinical, the early stage reports up into Hal, who's then up into David Bingaman. So, um, so we're really excited to have David come. He, he brings just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, he also brings just the character and leadership that you want in a senior executive at the company. And so he's um, going to be helping to take uh, a lot of the uh, resources uh, at Aura and, and continuing to project those onto a global stage, working with our European operations, uh, at, you know, as well as China. One, one brief comment, you know, we're, we have a very unique structure, which I learned at, at Amphenol when I was in the electronics industry about vertical integration within these regions. So when you look at Europe for us, for example, you know, we have a fully vertically integrated organization there. You know, the leadership, business development, uh, quality, project management, site development, uh, clinical operations, uh, safety, uh, regulatory, all of that is contained within Europe reporting up into Europe, not part of these you know, matrix global organizations where often there's poor accountability. We're doing the same thing in China. And what that means is that you've got the best of local but then a collaborative senior leadership team that knits that together um, for delivering uh, global studies. And that's something that um, you know, is, is becoming more and more of a, um, an opportunity for us. We, we were fortunate that some of the, the largest uh, you know, and most innovative companies in the space are, are, um, are, are coming to us for our ideas, uh, product ideas, as well as uh, clinical execution. So this is a uh, a, a, a tried and true operating model in another industry, but I think is something that, that I think lends itself very naturally to doing a, a great job in this detail-oriented business, but it all comes down to selecting the right people. You know, at the end of the day, it's really about the talent. You know, we have this um, vision statement now at Aura, which says creating vision beyond what we see, right? This is creating vision beyond what we see. That means that we have got to look beyond what we're doing right now, and even um, what's on the immediate horizon to something that's much bigger. Um, and, you know, that you know, potentially even goes beyond uh, just the work that we're doing in ophthalmology, uh, because we use our business as a force for good. Um, I just hired an employee who is in Zambia. She um, had no job, was selling trinkets on the street to feed her five kids. And I met her on a trip when I was over there on a safari. And I now have her trained with a laptop and supporting the back office for our UK operation. We transformed that woman's life, right? So when we say vision beyond what we see, we do things that are good for business. We do things that are good for ophthalmology, for our customers, for ourselves. But like when you make these kind of choices, you can do a lot of good in the world. And that's something that is really, really important to us as a family business. Thanks again, uh, Stuart Abelson, President, Chairman, and CEO of Aura. Um, and thank you to the OIS community. Looking forward to future podcasts with you.
Thank you for listening to Stuart Abelson's lively discussion of Aura's role in the process of helping innovative companies complete their clinical studies. Register now for the upcoming OIS Digital Innovation Showcase on May 20th. And come back next week for another informative discussion here on the OIS Podcast.